UTA Radio. UTA Radio. Radio. UTA. UTA Radio. Idaat. UTA. UTA Radio.com. Dot com. What do you think about when someone says college radio? Some may go directly to the music. You're going to hear things you might not normally hear on AM, FM radio. Those who worked in college radio to some extent may think about the connections they made and the fun they had of just being in a station and working on their broadcasting. There's a documentary being put out called 35,000 Watts, the story of college radio. In fact, it's still seeking some funding to get over the hump to make it a fully funded documentary. Its director, Mike Miller, joins us here on Radio Maverick. And Mike, thanks for joining us. And, and first tell me, why do a documentary on college radio? Well, that's a great question. And thanks for having me. Um, you know, college radio, like you said, has a huge impact on people that are in it, or people that worked in it. And I think a lot of people, and what we hope the film does is kind of open people's eyes as to how big of an impact it had on music and culture in general. So even if you weren't in college radio, even if you were just a music fan, uh, even if you just kind of, you know, grew up in the 80s and 90s and noticed this kind of shift in culture, a lot of that was attributed to college radio. You know, we were um, digging into things that other people weren't digging into and, and bringing things to light that might not have otherwise seen the light of day. And I think that's an interesting story to tell. And for whatever reason, and I'm kind of lucky in this respect, it hasn't been told yet. Um, so that's kind of what I'm hoping to do. And that's what it says in the materials uh, for the film, that the aim is to capture a culture here. And and you talked about the music part of it, but what else goes into the culture of college radio? You know, college radio, I think, was kind of a reflection of the counterculture in some ways, not for everybody, and I don't want to paint it with that broad of a brush, but, you know, as you get to the late 70s and, and then through the 80s and 90s, you know, in the 70s, rock music was just kind of rock. It was, you know, it was, it, there wasn't like punk or new wave or alternative or indie. It was just rock music. And if, and it was popular, you know, if you tuned into a commercial station, you listened to rock music. College radio kind of reflected this new trend of people finding newer and more unique music. And that bled into the culture and the way you dressed and maybe the, the TV shows you watched, the movies that you watched. And so, I, you know, I think of college radio a little bit of a, as a mirror of some of those other cultural trends that were happening. And then as college radio became more powerful, I think it started to even drive those trends and maybe even as, as opposed to reflecting them, it became something that actually changed them and, and changed the culture and brought those things to life. Now, I understand you're a Texas Tech guy, uh, as am I. And so it's, it's gratifying to have a, a Red Raider behind the helm of this thing. But did you get drawn into the campus radio station uh, in your time there? Absolutely. Yeah, I went to Tech with a love for radio and, a, and an interest in broadcasting, but not necessarily realizing or understanding that I could be a part of that in college. And it was halfway through my freshman year, uh, a friend of mine in my dorm was just like, hey, you know, I, I know you're into radio. I was listening to KTXT, which was the, the Texas Tech station, and I, I heard they're hiring DJs. 
and it was that kind of chance encounter and i just walked down into the station and and walked into the offices and and met uh chad kopek who's actually uh in the film and he said uh, yeah i'll put you on the dj sub list and from that moment on i was i was hooked i mean i practically lived there for the next three four years of my life and we're talking here uh the the mid 90s and uh and that's where you became exposed probably to a, a lot of artists you weren't normally hearing on regular radio right and just kind of thinking who is this this is really great right yeah it was really a music school it was a it was a immersion in an entirely new realm of music that I didn't really know a lot about, you know, so I, I walked into the station in the spring of 93. Um, so certainly like you knew about like Nirvana or Pearl Jam. I mean, they had started to get some airplay on MTV. You know, they started on college radio, but by that point they had broken through, but there are hundreds of other bands that you never in a million years would have seen on MTV. Um, you know, we talk about bands like King Missile or Belly or Ween or just, I mean, you could just, go through the list and we could spend the entire podcast doing that. Um, And so I was kind of coming in, not with a deep knowledge of that music. I felt a little out of place, but that was part of me living up there and just living in that, in that, uh, the music director's room where we just had this giant wall of records. And uh, that was kind of, uh, you know, Texas Tech is a great school. I got a great education there, but my real education was in music at the station. Can yeah. you name uh, one band, either one who made it or didn't, that you were exposed to that you still love today? And you thought, you know, without this experience, I would have never known about them. Oh, absolutely. Um, there's so many, you know, there's bands like R.E.M. that that I certainly kind of knew about, but I didn't realize just how great they were. I hadn't heard their earliest albums, and that's my by far my ba- favorite band. But then there are bands like... The Boo Radleys is a great example. That's a band you never really hear about. You don't, you certainly aren't going to hear them on the radio anymore. And I discovered them at the station and still to this, just last night, I was listening to you know, like kind of a random shuffle on my iTunes and they came up and that, that would never have been in my shuffle if it hadn't been for college radio. And, and again, you could, you could just go through the list. I mean, there's so many. You know, and as we talk about the, the culture of college radio, a lot of, of stations share similar attributes, I think. And, and in one of the clips I saw, which I, I found amusing, was you, you talked to a historian who talked about what you might see in a typical station. And, and she says, there's a couch. There's always seems to be a couch there. How, how did you find this person? The really dodgy couch that you shouldn't probably sit on, I think, is what she was talking about. Uh, Jennifer Waits is... It, you know, if you if you Google college radio, you're going to run into Jennifer Waits. She's been doing this much longer than I have in terms of uh, studying the history, writing about the history, visiting. I think she's visited over 100 college radio stations at this point. So she was, I think, the very first person I reached out to when this process started about a year ago. It's been we've been working, you know, doing research and pre-production and everything over a year now. And she was one of the first people I reached out to because it's pretty clear that if you want to talk about college radio in the United States, you, d- you definitely need to talk to Jennifer. And she has some some great stories about things like couches that you shouldn't sit on and uh, and a lot of other uh, great um, anecdotes. You know, there's 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 probably posters hanging around in the studio. There are stickers from other college stations or just stations around the town there. We share a lot of we. We don't necessarily talk about it, but for some reason, this culture just kind of gets in 
And we all find ourselves kind of doing the same thing. And I don't know if you found that by interviewing people in college radio, how while we may, we may be a little subversive and weird, we're kind of doing the same things, which is strange. It's fascinating. And it's one of the things we'll, di we'll dig into a little in the film because you know, one of the one of the challenges college radio has had is that uh, every station kind of operates in a little bit of a bubble, you know, especially back in the 90s before the Internet. CMJ and like the New Music Marathon were the only real ways for for college stations to network and really get to know each other. And that wasn't you know, that wasn't a lot for in, in my personal experience. I really don't think I talked to anyone else that worked like in another college radio station. Uh, and yet there is this shared experience that everyone seems to kind of have if you've gone through the college radio uh, world and, and, and worked in it. Uh, and it's pretty fascinating that it, that it went that way um, because it, it could have been that you had all these stations that just operated independently and never had a shared culture. And you might not talk to someone else and really feel that connection, but you do, you know, as you talk to people who are in college radio, there's always a story that just instantly you can be like, oh yeah, that man, that sounds just like my experience or, you know, that would come up over and over again. So it's kind of an interesting dichotomy of stations that operate in a bubble and oftentimes maybe didn't network a lot. And yet, once you do get outside of that bubble and talk to other people, you realize that, yeah, there's all these commonalities and all these shared experiences that we all had. And yet, a number of us, and I'm saying the college radio community, uh, we exist to train the next generation of broadcasters. Those stations are on college campuses. You go to college, you find what you want to do when you grow up, and sometimes it's it's radio. And, and, and college radio especially is just a really great training ground. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, the number of people who are now in broadcasting or media that have a college radio background is really way above what I even would have thought, you know, as we do our outreach and as we talk to people. Um, it's <laughs> it's pretty astounding that, oh, yeah, I started in college radio. And it's not just radio. You know, it can be maybe they went into TV or maybe they went into another form of media. But I think it's that experience of gaining that confidence, finding your voice, you know, being able to sit in front of a mic and kind of understand that I'm talking to a hundred people, a thousand people, maybe ten thousand people, depending on where you are, and how to how to make that experience work. So you get all of that experience in college radio. And I think if you were to really like kind of create a family tree of college radio, it would be a massive tree. It would be huge. Uh, agreed. Another thing that we tend to share in the college radio community is, and we don't hear that as much down here as we used to, but students and sometimes staff, we have a station on campus. And, mm -hmm. and that just may be the, the nature of college radio, just kind of flying under the radar sometimes. But uh, in, in your research, did you, did you find that uh, some stations flew so far under the radar that they're not as well known maybe on their own campus. Absolutely. Yeah. And very situational. You know, you have college stations that have, um, you know, an FM transmitter. And you know, the reason the, the film is called 35,000 watts is because KTXT actually broadcast at 35,000 watts, which is pretty bit strong for a for a station. And so, you know, you actually would broadcast even to the surrounding communities, whereas some college stations have a 10 watt transmitter that maybe could cover the campus. Some are cable current where you actually literally have to be physically there. So, you know, depending on that and then just depending on what kind of 
what kind of station is it? Are they the kind of people that wanted to really be known? And do they do a lot of, you know, outreach and do they do a lot of advertising or was it just kind of this, this little, you know, this little tiny station that was tucked away in a basement and they just kind of did their thing and they kind of found their audience, but it wasn't really, you know, they weren't going out and really trying to necessarily grow their audience. That, that is a, a wildly different experience depending on which station and which campus you're talking about. And from what I hear from my peers, in addition to the, the dodgy couch, uh, there's always a funding <laughs> issue with college radio, right? There, there always seems to be some stations that are just living um, paycheck to paycheck, if you will. You know, funding source from funding source. Not well funded, uh, many of these stations who are trying to train up new broadcasters and trying to do a different way of radio. Yeah, I would say the majority, you know, have a, have an issue with funding. There are a few that that really just knock it out of the park and, and they have the support of the community and the college. And so it's not a big deal. That's definitely not the normal story. The normal story is, like you said, paycheck to paycheck, trying to figure out how to stay on the air. I think it gets more difficult each year because it's hard to convince administrations you know, why are we paying for this FM transmitter? Why are we paying for all this equipment? We can just do this online or do we even need it anymore? Radio is a dying thing. You know, you, there's all these arguments for why, uh, and also that the FCC licenses are worth a lot of money. Administrations could turn around and sell those to another, uh, you know, nonprofit or whatever for money. So making that case that, um, College radio is a good investment for the for the university and for the community is something that's that every station has to kind of deal with. We hope the film will help with that, you know, to really um, bring to light that that college radio stations still to this day are vibrant and they're necessary and they should be a part of the community and the university. But boy, yeah, it gets harder, I think, every year for stations to to make that case. And speaking of funding, we alluded to it in the intro, but the, the film itself uh, is on a crowdsourcing campaign uh, to basically pay to get this thing out there. How are you doing on your uh, crowdfunding and are you almost at your goal? We are about a little over halfway to our goal and we have 10 days left. So we're hoping that, you know, as we get closer, you, you tend to get more people that kind of are like, oh, you know, time's running out. So we're going to jump in. Um, certainly if, if we meet the goal, we're going to be in great shape to go back into production and start really, you know, we, we've only visited two places really. We've been to Dallas and we've been to LA and we've, and we've talked to people there. There's dozens of other places we'd like to visit. So the more funding we get, the more we can go to places like Athens, Georgia and Boston and even, you know, places like Cleveland, which you've, you've never really maybe thought about. It's like a hotbed for college radio. Who knew that? You know, we'd, we'd love to go there and find out why that is. Um, so, we, yeah, we hope we can ma make that goal. We have till June 9th to do it. And if so, that will really help us out. If if not, it's not the end of the film that there's certainly other things that we're considering because we, we're going to make the film one way or the other. We, we have a really passionate team that will make it happen. But certainly if we can get this Kickstarter done, um, that will be a big boon to, to making it. Obviously, as we've we've said, that music is a big part of this story and this culture of college radio. And uh, some of the advanced clips that have been shared include interviews with artists who perhaps had their songs first played on college radio. You've got a, uh, a nice interview with the guitarist of the Pixies, for example. You've probably found in your research that even the artists uh, appreciate college radio just as much as those of us who work, who work here. Absolutely. There are 
a lot of artists who recognize that without college radio, they, they might not have ever broken out from their town or their region. I think that's kind of where college radio really helped was, you know, Joey Santiago, who you mentioned from the Pixies talked about it. They had Boston locked down, you know, they can walk around Boston and hand out flyers and do live shows and build an audience in Boston, just like the toadies that we talked to there in Dallas and Fort Worth were able to do that. But then when those bands go on the road, and you start trying to go outside of Dallas, Fort Worth, for example, outside of Texas, when they really start to extend, it's it's getting on the radio, getting that kind of recognition from crowds that is difficult and was really difficult back in back before the internet. College radio kind of filled that void and they were willing to, we were willing to play indie artists on small labels that that weren't necessarily, you know, top 40, top 100 billboard hit type people. We wanted just good music. Didn't matter what genre, didn't matter what label you were on. Yeah, maybe we just tried to find too, the right? best music. Maybe something yeah, different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, why, why play the same thing that you can get on top 40 radio or AOR radio when we can bring something new to the table? And by doing that, the artists found, hey, now when I go to Lubbock and do a show, or now when I go to Albuquerque, say, let's do a sh and do a show, all of a sudden, everybody knows our lyrics. And like, there's 500 people in the crowd instead of 50. And I think they realized like that was that was what college radio was doing for them. And I and I think that there's still that respect and that um, and that willingness to, to talk about it and, and talk about how it helped. And and still happening today, um, would you say that the the this culture that's been built up through the '80s and '90s continues today? It's funny when I went into this process a year ago, I was really thinking of this as the story of like you know the rise and fall of college radio or the life and death of college radio, and that's not true. You know what I realized after jumping into this is that there are still. 500 something stations that are still going. The college kids are just as enthusiastic. They're just as into it. They still live at the station. They still live and die by, you know, finding that band that no one else knows and putting it on the air. They are doing it exactly the way we were doing it back when, you know, back in the quote unquote, the golden age or whatever. Um, it's the same, you know, the, that vibe is still there and it's just as vibrant as it ever was. And so I kind of had to change my my take on on how this film was going to go because it's not the life and death of college radio it's it's a story of college radio and how it still today is part of the landscape and should always be part of the landscape in my opinion an ongoing story of, of college radio there and probably and i'm just assuming this tell me if i'm wrong you may have found too you know there's that in that culture of college radio the the music the the training of the the staff College radio does a pretty good job in the activism space as well. And in terms of talking about and supporting issues that uh, affect a, a lot of us, is there an activism component to this story? I, yeah, I think so. The film will certainly touch on that. And uh, as I've talked to ex-college radio folks, um, it seems like, you know, we always steer towards the music and that's certainly the fun thing to talk about. But there's been so many stories that have come up um, you know, Hey, we did this, we did this interview with this person that no one else, you know, really wanted to talk to, or we talked about issues of, you know, about homophobia 30 years ago before that was a, th you know, a thing that really people would bring out into the world. And what I love about that is, you know, when you, when you look at Texas tech 
you're in a town like Lubbock, which is an extremely conservative city for sure. And you're reaching because of that, the luck that we had, and I say luck, but it was really the effort of, of dozens of people throughout the years to get us to 35,000 watts. We were broadcasting to the smaller communities around Lubbock where those kids, you know, you had high school kids maybe living there who now all of a sudden could hear someone that sounded like them that had the same, some of the same ideas as them. They realized they weren't alone, you know, they, they had uh, a, a group that now they could kind of like feel a part of. And that's something that I think college radio has and, and still does bring to the table. Um, it, it gives a voice to people that maybe don't have one in other realms. And it lets people that are hearing that feel like they're part of a community that they maybe didn't know existed until they heard that broadcast. All right. So once the funding goal is, is reached, what is the, a timeline for finishing the film and getting it out to the masses? Uh, good question. <laughs> we certainly, uh, we have an idea of what that might be, and it's of course flexible, but ideally uh, we would go back into production over the summer and into the early fall and, and try to, you know, shoot at least five or six more locations and do lots more interviews. We have so many artists lined up that we would love to talk to and college stations we'd love to visit. Um, we'd love to have like a little preview kind of teaser ready for college radio day, which I think is August 7th this year of 2022. Uh, we're partners with the college radio foundation. They do such great work and we've been working with them. So it'd be nice to, to have something ready to just kind of toss out there. And then after that, the actual film, we would love to have start, you know, touring the film festivals in early spring of next year, hopefully. So that's kind of what we're looking at. And then a release after that. Well, Mike, good luck to you. It's uh, it's it's good that someone's finally sat down and and gotten to telling the story of college radio, uh, not just audio wise, but visually on film. Uh, thanks a lot and good luck. Thank you so much. We really I appreciate you having me. It was really fun. What do you think about when someone says college radio? Some may go directly to the music. You're going to hear things you might not normally hear on AM FM radio. Those who worked in college radio to some extent may think about the connections they made and the fun they had of just being in a station and working on their broadcasting. There's a documentary being put out called 35,000 Watts, the story of college radio. In fact, it's still seeking some funding to get over the hump to make it a fully funded documentary. Its director, Mike Miller, joins us here on Radio Maverick. And Mike, thanks for joining us. And, and first tell me, why do a documentary on college radio? Well, that's a great question. And thanks for having me. Um, you know, college radio, like you said, has a huge impact on people that are in it, people that worked in it. And I think a lot of people, and what we hope the film does is kind of open people's eyes as to how big of an impact it had on music and culture in general. So even if you weren't in college radio, even if you were just a music fan, uh, even if you just kind of, you know, grew up in the 80s and 90s and noticed this kind of shift in culture, a lot of that was attributed to college radio. You know, we were um, digging into things that other people weren't digging into and, and bringing things to light that might not have otherwise seen the light of day. And I think that's an interesting story to tell. And for whatever reason, and I'm kind of lucky in this respect, it hasn't been told yet. Um, so that's kind of what I'm hoping to do. And that's what it says in the materials uh, for the film, that the aim is to capture a culture here. And, and you talked about the music part of it, but 
What else goes into the culture of college radio? You know, college radio, I think, was kind of a reflection of the counterculture in some ways, not for everybody. And I don't want to paint it with that broad of a brush. But, you know, as you get to the late 70s and, and then through the 80s and 90s, you know, in the 70s, rock music was just kind of rock. It was, you know, it was it, there wasn't like punk or new wave or alternative or indie it was just rock music and if and it was popular you know if you tuned into a commercial station you listen to rock music college radio kind of reflected this new trend of people finding newer and more unique music and that bled into the culture and the way you dressed and maybe the the tv shows you watched the movies that you watched and so I, you know, I think of college radio a little bit of a, as a mirror of some of those other cultural trends that were happening. And then as college radio became more powerful, I think it started to even drive those trends and maybe even as, as opposed to reflecting them, it became something that actually changed them and, and changed the culture and brought those things to life. Now, I understand you're a Texas Tech guy, uh, as am I. And so it's, it's gratifying to have a, a Red Raider behind the helm of this thing. But did you get drawn into the campus radio station uh, in your time there? Absolutely. Yeah, I went to tech with a love for radio and, a, and an interest in broadcasting, but not necessarily realizing or understanding that I could be a part of that in college. And it was halfway through my freshman year, uh, a friend of mine in my dorm was just like, hey, you know, I, I know you're into radio. I was listening to KTXT, which was the, the Texas Tech station, and I, I heard they're hiring DJs. And it was that kind of chance encounter. And I just walked down into the station and, and walked into the offices and, and met uh, Chad Kopech, who's actually uh, in the film. And he said, uh, yeah, I'll put you on the DJ sub list. And from that moment on, I was, I was hooked. I mean, I practically lived there for the next three, four years of my life. And we're talking here, uh, the, the mid nineties. And, uh, and that's where you became exposed probably to a, a lot of artist you weren't normally hearing on regular radio right and just kind of thinking who is this this is really great right yeah it was really a music school it was a it was a immersion in an entirely new realm of music that i didn't really know a lot about you know so i i walked into the station in the spring of 93 um so certainly like you knew about like nirvana or pearl jam i mean they had started to get some airplay on mtv you know they started on college radio but by that point they had broken through but there are hundreds of other bands that you never in a million years would have seen on mtv um you know we talk about bands like king missile or belly or ween or just i mean you could just go through the list and we could spend the entire podcast doing that yeah um and so i was kind of coming in not with a deep knowledge of that music i felt a little out of place but that was part of me living up there and just living in that in that uh the music director's room where we just had this giant wall of records and uh that was kind of uh you know I, texas tech is a great school i got a great education there but my real education was in music at the station can yeah. you name uh, one band either one who made it or didn't that you were exposed to that you still love today and you thought you know without this experience i would have never known about them oh absolutely um there's so many you know there's bands like rem that that i certainly kind of knew about but i didn't realize just how great they were i hadn't heard their earliest albums and that's my by far my ba favorite band but then there are bands like 
the Boo Radleys is a great example. That's a band you never really hear about. You don't, you certainly aren't going to hear them on the radio anymore. And I discovered them at the station and still to this, just last night, I was listening to you know, like kind of a random shuffle on my iTunes and they came up and that, that would never have been in my shuffle if it hadn't been for college radio. And, and again, you could, you could just go through the list. I mean, there's so many. You know, and as we talk about the, the culture of college radio, a lot of, of stations share similar attributes, I think. And, and in one of the clips I saw, which I, I found amusing, was you, you talked to a historian who talked about what you might see in a typical station. And, and she says, there's a couch. There's always seems to be a couch there. How, how did you find this person? The really dodgy couch that you shouldn't probably sit on, I think, is what she was talking about. Uh, Jennifer Waits is... It, you know, if you if you Google college radio, you're going to run into Jennifer Waits. She's been doing this much longer than I have in terms of uh, studying the history, writing about the history, visiting. I think she's visited over 100 college radio stations at this point. So she was, I think, the very first person I reached out to when this process started about a year ago. It's been we've been working, you know, doing research and pre-production and everything over a year now. And she was one of the first people I reached out to because it's pretty clear that if you want to talk about college radio in the United States, you, d you definitely need to talk to Jennifer. And she has some some great stories about things like couches that you shouldn't sit on and uh, and a lot of other uh, great um, anecdotes. You know, there's 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 probably posters hanging around in the studio. There are stickers from other college stations or just stations around the town there. We share a lot of we. We don't necessarily talk about it, but for some reason, this culture just kind of gets in and we all find ourselves kind of doing the same thing. And I don't know if you found that by interviewing people in college radio, how, why we meet, we may be a little subversive and weird. We're kind of doing the same things, which is strange. It's fascinating. And it's one of the things we'll, di we'll dig into a little in the film because, you know, one of the, one of the challenges college radio has had is that. Uh, every station kind of operates in a little bit of a bubble, you know, especially back in the 90s before the Internet. CMJ and like the New Music Marathon were the only real ways for, for college stations to network and really get to know each other. And that wasn't, you know, that wasn't a lot for in, in my personal experience. I really don't think I talked to anyone else that worked like in another college radio station. Uh, and yet there is this shared experience that everyone seems to kind of have if you've gone through the college radio uh, world and 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 worked in it, uh, and it's pretty fascinating that it that it went that way um, because it it could have been that you had all these stations that just operated independently and never had a shared culture, and you might not talk to someone else and really feel that connection, but you do. You know, as you talk to people who are in college radio, there's always a story that just instantly you can be like, oh yeah, that man, that sounds just like my experience, or you know, that would come up over and over again. So. It's kind of an interesting dichotomy of stations that operate in a bubble and oftentimes maybe didn't network a lot. And yet, once you do get outside of that bubble and talk to other people, you realize that, yeah, there's all these commonalities and all these shared experiences that we all had. And yet a number of us, and I'm saying the college radio community, uh, we exist to train the next generation of broadcasters. Those stations are on college campuses. You go to college, you find what you want to do when you grow up, and sometimes it's it's radio. And, and, and college radio especially is just a really great training ground. Wouldn't you agree? 
Yeah, the number of people who are now in broadcasting or media that have a college radio background is really way above what I even would have thought, you know, as we do our outreach and as we talk to people. Um, it's <laughs> it's pretty astounding that, oh, yeah, I started in college radio. And it's not just radio, you know, it can be maybe they went into TV or maybe they went into another form of media. But I think it's that experience of gaining that confidence, finding your voice, you know, being able to sit in front of a mic and kind of understand that I'm talking to a hundred people, a thousand people, maybe ten thousand people, depending on where you are, and how to how to make that experience work. So you get all of that experience in college radio. And I think if you were to really like kind of create a family tree of college radio, it would be a massive tree. It would be huge. Uh, agreed. Another thing that we tend to share in the college radio community is, and we don't hear that as much down here as we used to, but students and sometimes staff, we have a station on campus. And mm -hmm. and that just may be the, the nature of college radio, just kind of flying under the radar sometimes. But uh, in, in your research, did you, did you find that uh, some stations flew so far under the radar that they're not as well known maybe on their own campus. Absolutely. Yeah. And very situational. You know, you have college stations that have, um, you know, an FM transmitter. And you know, the reason the, the film is called 35,000 watts is because KTXT actually broadcast at 35,000 watts, which is pretty bit strong for a for a station. And so, you know, you actually would broadcast even to the surrounding communities, whereas some college stations have a 10 watt transmitter that maybe could cover the campus. Some are cable current where you actually literally have to be physically there. So, you know, depending on that and then just depending on what kind of what kind of station is it? Are they the kind of people that wanted to really be known? And do they do a lot of, you know, outreach and do they do a lot of advertising or was it just kind of this this little you know this little tiny station that was tucked away in a basement and they just kind of did their thing and they kind of found their audience but it wasn't really you know they weren't going out and really trying to necessarily grow their audience that that is a, a wildly different experience depending on which station and which campus you're talking about and from what I hear from my peers in addition to the the dodgy couch uh, there's always a funding <laughs> issue with college radio right there there always seems to be some stations that are just living. Um, paycheck to paycheck, if you will, you know, funding source from funding source, not well funded. Uh, many of these stations who are trying to train up new broadcasters and trying to do a different way of radio. Yeah, I would say the majority, you know, have a, have an issue with funding. There are a few that that really just knock it out of the park and, and they have the support of the community and the college. And so it's not a big deal. That's definitely not the normal story. The normal story is, like you said, paycheck to paycheck, trying to figure out how to stay on the air. I think it gets more difficult each year because it's hard to convince administrations, you know, why are we paying for this FM transmitter? Why are we paying for all this equipment? We can just do this online or do we even need it anymore? Radio is a dying thing. You know, you, there's all these arguments for why, uh, and also that the FCC licenses are worth a lot of money. Administrations could turn around and sell those to another, uh, you know, nonprofit or whatever for money. So making that case that um, college radio is a good investment for the, for the university and for the community is something that's, that every station has to kind of deal with. We hope the film will help with that you know, to really um, bring to light that, that college radio stations still to this day are vibrant and they're necessary 
and they should be a part of the community and the university. But boy, yeah, it gets harder, I think, every year for stations to to make that case. And speaking of funding, we alluded to it in the intro, but the the film itself uh, is on a crowdsourcing campaign uh, to basically pay to get this thing out there. How are you doing on your uh, crowdfunding and are you almost at your goal? We are about a little over halfway to our goal and we have 10 days left. So we're hoping that, you know, as we get closer, you, you tend to get more people that kind of are like, oh, you know, time's running out. So we're going to jump in. Um, certainly if, if we meet the goal, we're going to be in great shape to go back into production and start really, you know, we, we've only visited two places really. We've been to Dallas and we've been to LA and we've, we've talked to people there. There's dozens of other places we'd like to visit. So the more funding we get, the more we can go to places like Athens, Georgia and Boston and even, you know, places like Cleveland, which you've, you've never really maybe thought about. It's like a hotbed for college radio. Who knew that? You know, we'd, we'd love to go there and find out why that is. Um, so, we, yeah, we hope we can ma make that goal. We have till June 9th to do it. And if so, that will really help us out. If if not, it's not the end of the film that there's certainly other things that we're considering because we, we're going to make the film one way or the other. We, we have a really passionate team that will make it happen. But certainly if we can get this Kickstarter done, um, that will be a big boon to, to making it. Obviously, as we've we've said, that music is a big part of this story and this culture of college radio. And uh, some of the advanced clips that have been shared include interviews with artists who perhaps had their songs first played on college radio. You've got a, uh, a nice interview with the guitarist of the Pixies, for example. You've probably found in your research that even the artists uh, appreciate college radio just as much as those of us who work who work here. Absolutely. There are a lot of artists who recognize that without college radio, they, they might not have ever broken out from their town or their region. I think that's kind of where college radio really helped was, you know, Joey Santiago, who you mentioned from the Pixies talked about it. They had Boston locked down. You know, they can walk around Boston and hand out flyers and do live shows and build an audience in Boston, just like the toadies that we talked to there in Dallas and Fort Worth were able to do that. But then when those bands go on the road, and you start trying to go outside of Dallas-Fort Worth, for example, outside of Texas, when they really start to extend, it's it's getting on the radio, getting that kind of recognition from crowds that is difficult and was really difficult back in back before the internet. College radio kind of filled that void and they were willing to, we were willing to play indie artists on small labels that that weren't necessarily, you know, top 40, top 100 billboard hit type people. We wanted just good music. Didn't matter what genre, didn't matter what label you were on. Yeah, maybe we just tried to find too, the right? best music. Maybe something yeah, different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, why, why play the same thing that you can get on top 40 radio or AOR radio when we can bring something new to the table? And by doing that, the artists found, hey, now when I go to Lubbock and do a show, or now when I go to Albuquerque, say, let's do a sh and do a show, all of a sudden, everybody knows our lyrics. And like, there's 500 people in the crowd instead of 50. And I think they realized like that was that was what college radio was doing for them. And I and I think that there's still that respect and that um, and that willingness to, to talk about it and, and talk about how it helped. And, and still happening today, um, would you say that the, the, this culture that's been built up through the 80s and 90s continues today? It's funny. When I went into this process a year ago, I was really thinking of this as the story of like, you know, the rise and fall of college radio or the life and death of college radio. 
And that's not true. You know, what I realized after jumping into this is that there are still 500 something stations that are still going. The college kids are just as enthusiastic. They're just as into it. They still live at the station. They still live and die by, you know, finding that band that no one else knows and putting it on the air. They are doing it exactly the way we were doing it back when, you know, back in the quote unquote, the golden age or whatever. Um, it's the same, you know, the, that vibe is still there and it's just as vibrant as it ever was. And so I kind of had to change my, my take on, on how this film was going to go because it's not the life and death of college radio. It's, it's a story of college radio and how it still today is part of the landscape and should always be part of the landscape. In my opinion, an ongoing story of, of college radio there. And probably, and I'm just assuming this, tell me if I'm wrong, you may have found too, you know, there's that, in that culture of college radio, the, the music, the, the training of the, the staff, college radio does a pretty good job in the activism space as well. And in terms of talking about and supporting issues that uh, affect a, a lot of us, is there an activism component to this story? I, yeah, I think so. The film will certainly touch on that. And uh, as I've talked to ex-college radio folks, um, it seems like, you know, we always steer towards the music and that's certainly the fun thing to talk about. But there's been so many stories that have come up, um, you know, hey, we did this we did this interview with this person that no one else, you know, really wanted to talk to. Or we talked about issues of, you know, about homophobia 30 years ago before that was a, th you know, a thing that really people would bring out into the world. And what I love about that is, you know, when you, when you look at Texas Tech, you're in a town like Lubbock, which is an extremely conservative city for sure. And you're reaching because of that, the luck that we had, and I say luck, but it was really the effort of, of dozens of people throughout the years to get us to 35,000 watts. We were broadcasting to the smaller communities around Lubbock, where those kids, you know, you had high school kids maybe living there who, now all of a sudden could hear someone that sounded like them that had the same some of the same ideas as them they realized they weren't alone you know they they had uh, a, a group that now they could kind of like feel a part of and that's something that i think college radio has and and still does bring to the table um it, it gives a voice to people that maybe don't have one in other realms and it lets people that are hearing that feel like they're part of a community that they maybe didn't know existed until they heard that broadcast. All right. So once the funding goal is, is reached, what is the uh, timeline for finishing the film and getting it out to the masses? Uh, good question. <laughs> we certainly, uh, we have an idea of what that might be and it's of course flexible, but ideally uh, we would go back into production over the summer and into the early fall and and try to, you know, shoot at least five or six more locations and do lots more interviews. We have so many artists lined up that we would love to talk to and college stations we'd love to visit. Um, we'd love to have like a little preview kind of teaser ready for College Radio Day, which I think is August 7th this year of 2022. Uh, we're partners with the College Radio Foundation. They do such great work and we've been working with them. So it'd be nice to to have something ready to just kind of toss out there. And then after that, the actual film, we would love to have start, you know, touring the film festivals in early spring of next year, hopefully. So that's kind of what we're looking at. And then a release after that. Well, Mike, good luck to you. It's uh, it's it's good that someone's finally sat down and, and gotten to telling the story of college radio, uh, not just audio wise, but visually on film. Uh, thanks a lot and good luck. 
Thank you so much. We really, I appreciate you having me. It was really fun. The preceding program is a production of utaradio.com and the Department of Communication. Thank you for listening.